everybody. Welcome. It's Monday Generational Change. I'm Jen. I'm Peter. And it's the afternoon. And it's very cold in here. It is cold. You, you know, and no, this is not the standard, oh, you're just a bunch of Floridians. Well, we are, because I'm not that cold. Well, no, but it is- uh, I have some sleeves. Well, it's in the- Well, here's the thing. It's in the 40s, and it's also raining. So there's sort of this it's, really- It's kind of dank, but- um, Dank. It's dank. Dank. Okay. But um, we don't have heat. Not in this studio. We only have AC because the reality is that's usually all we need. Well, why don't you compare? I think this yourself. is the first time we haven't had the AC on. That's as close to using heat as we get. Is we don't have the AC on in this place right now. That is correct, Mallory. And I'm not that cold. Well, Mallory understands our pain. Uh, I actually like it because it reminds me that we have seasons. Because otherwise, we don't have seasons here, and I kind of like it. Makes you appreciate the seasons that much more. I well, I wish we had seasons. And Mark certainly understands how pathetic we are because it warmed up to a very balmy ten degrees in Pittsburgh. Uh, congratulations on that nice comeback win, Mark, on Saturday. The Steelers hey, said that, and we'll see what happens. Lana Waterwitch, please join us on YouTube if you can. That would be certainly appreciated. He likes it how he likes it. I like it how I like it. It is what it is. So we're going to be talking, uh, and just to preface this, and I was just telling Peter this, I don't read these bills because they're all just full of crap. They're all just like... There's no meaning to any of them. And it doesn't even matter what they say they're going to do with it. And it, like, so I never bother to read it. It's all silliness to me. And this is definitely something that is much more profound on the Democratic side than the Republican side. This bill has 4,200 pages of legislation. But it's... Who's reading 4,200 Nobody. Pages? No. Now, I read the Patriot Act. I read that listen, little listen, that little listen, tidbit. We have to pass it so that we know it's before we know it's inside. No, I don't read spending things because they're all just there's no point. It's well, just all ridiculous. I'll read other things, but I don't read spending bills. That's ridiculous. It's well, just stupid. Well, who better to break down this discussion about how we just like to print money? Yes, we do like to print money, and it's usually for stuff that doesn't actually help people. We were just so, listening to Brian Mass telling everybody how this is their hard-earned dollars that are they worked hard for the these key dollars ingredient that it's to pay for these things. That is and, and listen, we can debate at length how we waste money in this country. But if there's one thing that MMT hammers away at in the most effective way possible that the austerity hawks are going to eventually lose this argument on is that, no, it's not your tax dollars. Your tax dollars do not come from printing money. You must understand that There's concept. some person, there's some treasurer sitting there when everybody pays their tax dollars, like keeping a ledger. Yes. There's a ledger. So you that, and, and we can only use the amount of money that comes in. That's how this works. You know him from The Real Progressives. He is the host <laughs> of the Macro and Cheese podcast. He is a friend of the show and making up for not being at the Festivus. It's okay. And here we are in the afternoon. Steve Grumbine, welcome back to Generational Change. Hey, hey, how are you? I'm digging the background. I have to say, I still love the American flag. I do. I just think it's beautiful. That's me. Yeah, you've been nicely propagandized. <sighs> yes. <laughs> I got I it because it's ripped you. to shreds. Because the idea I know. Is it looks like it yeah. was shot. It looks good. <laughs> How's the weather by you? How absolutely wonderful is it in central Pennsylvania? You have power. So my, I was going to say, between the no power on Friday night... I got the super blessing or the, the actual Christmas blessing, if you will, of waking up to a toilet where the pipes were frozen. So you couldn't get water. So you couldn't flush. 
And unfortunately, we That's found funny. that out after okay. someone made a nice, healthy deposit. So <laughs> uh, anyway, we had to take a few days of warming uh, Saturday or yes, Saturday night, Sunday, and then late Sunday, we finally got our pipes unfrozen. So it was quite a quite an eventful uh, yeah, yeah, that uh, really sucks when that happens. But it's interesting because people from here that travel this time of year, like I have a friend who's here and she's up in Connecticut with her family for Christmas. And it's interesting to me because this is the only time of year I like the weather here. Like, why would I go anywhere else now? Well, and people here are complaining about the cold, just so you know. Well, the truth is, whether, you know, if you're traveling or not, um, I think people do like a white Christmas. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think the snow adds to the elements of the holiday season. But what I always tell everybody is that coming from where we come from in the Northeast, it's great to be there between Halloween and New Year's. Once that's over and you have to deal with the absolute treachery that is the winter weather of that part of the country, particularly January, February, and, and considerable part of March, it is not a very good place to be. It could be very, very trying, to say the least. Yes, it can. There is no getting around that, period. And I live in Pennsylvania, so I get a full frontal on that one. It's a, it's a yeah. rough go. It's did you read the bill, Steve? Did you read the bill? Of course he did. All 4,200 4, pages worth. In between bowel movements, yes. No, I I, I literally sat there and I, I cracked it open and I laughed because I, to me, I, I know that this these kinds of things are a big deal to folks. And because they turn it into political theater, it makes it an even bigger one. And because they put these fake debt ceilings out there, it scares us. And because the government has to be funded by authorization of Congress, you know, blah, blah, blah. They use these technical rules and stuff like that. But in, in the end, I'm, I'm totally disinterested in most of these budget things because in the end, I know that we've got as much money as we need to do what we need to do. The issue will always be, do we have enough real resources to do what it is that we'd like to purchase? As long as they're available for purchase in U.S. dollars, I, I just don't understand the the issue with budgets. These budgets are, and let me tell you why that's even bigger true statement. There's something called automatic stabilizers. These things have been passed a hundred years ago. You know, these things are, could be in place. They, you know, automatically inject money into the economy for when there is a drought and you got to support agriculture or there, there is layoffs. So you have unemployment or there is, um, you know, food short. So people get food stamps, whatever. These are automatic injections that keep the economy from bottoming out. And they're not really intended to help people. They're really meant to make sure that the industry it supports doesn't bottom out by injecting money into them to keep right. them going. Right. But so how do you control that? How, how do you budget for that? How do you budget for a pandemic? How do you budget for, uh, you know, uh, tornadoes and hurricanes and, and earthquakes and volcanic eruptions and, you know, asteroids, who knows, right? How do you, how do you budget for that? You don't, right? And so you think about climate crisis and you think about everything else that we've got going on. How do you budget to save ourselves? Is the budget really a thing? Well, they keep making it a thing. So we keep talking about it, but it's not a thing. It's bullshit. That's, that's Grumbine's take. You can take that and drop it. You probably get, you get what you get for that. It's worth exactly what you paid for it, which is zero, maybe a bag of chips. So. No, it's good. And, but it really, it verifies what I was just saying. Like I never read these spending things. What would be the point? Like 
other than there's some stuff in it that's very entertaining. Like apparently Nancy Pelosi is naming something Speaker Pelosi. Like she's naming a building a federal, after a federal building in San Francisco. Because she's naming that, it after which herself. Will, which will probably cost millions of dollars, but it's very important. You must remember. See, that's the only reason to read these, like just because of the lunacy of it. But it doesn't mean anything to me as far as the money. Like they're just, it, it's just ridiculous. Steve, here's And it's a, Speaker Pelosi. It's Speaker Pelosi. Not, not Nancy. Nancy. Speaker Pelosi is how it's being written. Can you so, believe this? Of course you can. But of yes. Course you can. <laughs> Sadly, yes. yes. It's like the most unshocking thing I've heard today. So, <laughs> But grotesque. What I will say, and I think that this is true across the board, which people need to understand, is that we watched a video of probably the most moderate congressional GOP representative in the state of Florida, who is Brian Mast. He's up the coastline in uh, Fort Pierce in Port St. Lucie. And he basically did a six minute video breaking down the details of the bill and the absurdity of the things that are in the bill, including things like border security for other countries, but nothing for the United States. And of course, we know that there's a that that's a loaded issue. And not just any other country. Of course. Oh, it was like Lebanon, Syria, Jordan. It was Middle Eastern countries. Any countries that have to do with our proxy uh, interests regarding natural resources. And, so, and again, it's the American empire yeah. at its finest. The issue here, of course, is that he, and as a typical GOP representative, will always play to the austerity hawks, suggesting that uh, this is your tax dollars that are going in this direction. And I'm thinking, dude, printing money has nothing to do with our tax dollars. It has to do with whether or not our money is being properly allocated. Something as simple as it's a $1.7 trillion spending bill. That's so ridiculous. I think we can agree that it's probably roughly, Robin Bennett, love you, dear. Thank you so much. Much appreciated. Uh, If we have, let's say, 100 million people in this country that it's to one degree or another are, whether they're gainfully employed or not, are at the poverty line or very near it to the point where it is the paycheck to paycheck livelihood, where if one is missed, you are below that poverty line. We could just give $17,000 to 100 million Americans instead of this absurdity that is these spending bills, which never seem to truly benefit the working people of this country. But you're making it be like, like that's the whole antithesis of how this works, because why is it an either or? We could give those people money anyway. Well, like you're do. making it be like, you're actually saying that it's like a, a, a pie. It's not a fucking pie. Well, no, it's technically not a pie, but you don't, you, you also, the value of our dollar is nowhere near what it could be because we don't have a thriving working and middle class in this country. The haves and the have-nots continue to grow exponentially. And we have these spending bills, which again, learn MMT. So what else ridiculous is in this? Uh, well, Steve, why don't you share your thoughts? Because to me, there are a lot of ridiculous things in this bill. And yes, you can address... Uh, no, half the money, Lana, we love you. Half the money is not going to Ukraine, but 50 billion more is going to Ukraine. And Ukraine has already gotten over 100 billion. Uh, the United States, what could what could working people do with 100 billion in this country? Probably a lot, but I digress. Yeah, let's, let's look at it like this. I'll, I'll give you this high level quickie. And it's like 772.5 billion for domestic priorities, 858 billion in defense spending. 40 billion in disaster relief for communities recovering from hurricanes, wildfires, and drought, 
And then to Lana's point, 45 billion in emergency assistance to Ukraine. Okay. 45 billion out of 1.7 trillion. Um, it's still a lot of money because if you think about what the cost yeah. of Medicare for all would be, et cetera, exactly. Right. Jeff Ginter's got a great comment right there. There is no value of the dollar. Dollar is dollar is worth $1 in tax credit. The government guarantees it will take $1 for $1 in tax credit. End of story right there. But what you've got is a situation of the domestic spending isn't really doing anything for regular people at all. Zero, Right. And if you look at the defense spending, it just keeps going higher and higher and higher. I think they got another 10% bump uh, in, in, in $858 billion in an annual payment to the military. We This is not in any way, shape, or form bankrupting our nation. I hate the military. It's in no way, shape, or form bankrupting our nation. It's in no way, shape, or form impacting our ability to provide every child a, a free student lunch. It's not impacting our ability to give every single human being access free school all the way through PhD if they wanted. There's nothing preventing us from doing absolutely anything, giving people homes. The problem is it always comes down to real resources and production. Do we have the real resources for sale that would meet everybody's needs? Or are we creating a situation where we're going to create scarcity because we've given people money where there isn't production to right. back that up? Correct. That's the key. And right, there's nothing in this bill that really is for the people. You're not walking out of this bill going, yes, thank God, if they hadn't passed this bill, whatever would I do with my life? That's not what's happening here at all. It's, it's a crap bill. And it shows, quite frankly, how unwilling they are to serve the people. And it's not because they're unwilling to serve just because they're mean and nasty, although they are. It really comes down to an ideological framework, a libertarian ideological framework of hands off the markets, leave the markets be, we'll let them do what they want to do. Let's just grease the skids. Let's spend money into the military because we know all the power players that get that money when we pay it into the economy. We fatten them up. It's, but they do not want us to be free of the business cycle. They do not want us to be able to make decisions for ourselves. So they tighten the screws down on us and they ensure that we're always ready and able and available. Hey, I'll, I'll take whatever shit job you'll throw my way. Please, please, please uh, sign me up. I'll do it. I'll drive three hours to Walmart for, you know, midnight shift work, whatever. So this bill, I mean, all the funny things that you can point out and there are plenty in there all the like jokey mocky things that we can point out and have fun with. They're all in there. I want to be crystal clear. You can have a bunch of stupid things in a bill, a bunch of ridiculous things in a bill, and it would not preclude our ability to provide everyone with healthcare, to do a green new deal. Right. It wouldn't prevent any of that. So it's very important that we just totally separate our brain from the idea of tax revenue, paying for this and actual spending doing its own thing. Spending is its own animal. Taxation's its own animal. And ironically, right before I did this show with you all, I did a show on my own for the Rogue Scholar where I talked about the role of taxation because even in MMT circles, we've got these really, really brainiac people. Very, very smart. The smartest people I know. But the problem is they're sometimes too smart for their own good and they forget the audience they're talking to. And so as I'm talking to regular people, activists who literally sit there and salivate every time a Bitcoin video comes up or some other jackwad idea comes up. They'll, oh, 
They're like locked in on it, right? These are the people we're talking to. We're not talking to you brainiacs that know how to decipher models and understand math formulas and understand all these highbrow things. We're talking about people that are literally thinking the Jews are like taking over and that kind of insanity that is prevalent throughout social media world and activist communities. And quite frankly, a lot of your headline YouTubers and alternative media, and even some of your other media out there says this trash. So that's what we're talking about. Unfortunately, it gets muddied up with these very, very highbrow esoteric. Well, let me tell you, actually, actually, they get all professorial and whatnot. And reality is, is that regular Jane and Joe six pack tunes out immediately. Everything they say, and I'm, I'm trying to be regular Joe, man. I'm ready to talk about smoking weed and talk about federal finance all in the same breath. And I'm still talking above most people's heads. And it's not like I'm doing it on purpose. I'm trying desperately to find analogies that help people think through these problems. And, And I'm just unsuccessful, even though I try. To do it. I don't think you're unsuccessful. I think believe you know, me, if you saw what I see. <laughs> but I, I want to say it's very conflating for people because here you're watching this guy make absolutely reasonable sense regarding what is in this bill. Like he, the, Brian Mass, he's just sitting there and and he makes sense. And and you're sitting there like, yeah, that sounds wasteful. That sounds wasteful. But then he's doing the whole thing about connecting it to everybody's tax dollars. So you can't even listen to one person being reasonable and have it make like still kind of align with what is our reality. And I've spoken, you know, Jen, you remember, was on Tim Pool's podcast. Luke Rudgowski is, uh, you know, he's an anarchist, but he's a libertarian anarchist. And this whole idea about, you know, spending, spending. And it's like, why is there still this massive disconnect between local and state spending versus federal spending. Why do you think that that is still such a significant disconnect with so many people? Because the average person, and with all due respect, including your show, right? Including your show, which you guys are trying. I see the progress. Believe me, I'm like doing cheers every time I see the lights go on. I get excited. But (laughs) even with you guys, and you guys are trying, so you understand that if you're trying how many people that aren't even trying that have right. large platforms that are pushing this crap out there? The problem is they don't understand the difference between currency issuer and currency user. They don't understand the role of taxation, which is to drive your need for that currency, not for money, that currency. The whole point of the tax is to make you need that currency, right? Once you, once you lock that up, you say currency issuer issues a tax puts a tax out there. So you have to pay it. Now Now we've created a loop. We've created a circuit. You need tax money because you have to pay that tax. You need money to pay that tax. So you go and do something, whatever that something is to get the money to pay that tax. That's the federal government level, right? At the state government level, they don't create money. They are the ones that are waiting for whatever money is coming through the door, whether it be through bank loans, whether it be through foreign purchases, whether bond sales, whatever. They are 100% like a business. They're like you and I. They just have a bigger budget. They just have a bigger bank account. They just have different funding mechanisms. But the federal government creates money. States and local, they, they have to spend money that the government created or banks created either way. They don't have the ability to create it themselves. 
fundamental difference. And because we can't even get, I mean, I'm listening to some of my favorite YouTubers out there, not understand the role of public banks, not understand that they still have to get money from the federal government to create their loans and stuff. They don't understand that at all, but they're busy telling people that they're going to fund federal style programs with public banks, which once again, is complete dereliction of any kind of knowledge base you could have. I mean, just ridiculous impossibility. Yeah. But that's that's the next thing. It's it's like he said something I don't like. He gave me a limit that I don't like. So I'm going to just not listen to him. And I'm going to go over here because this guy said, hey, we can do it, even if it's full of shit and it's wrong. And this is the problem. What you said, Peter, is exactly right. Why hasn't it caught on? Because as long as people think that they're smarter and the, the, the prophet hath no honor in his own hometown, whatever you want to say, as long as they think we're all sitting at a bar stool just shucking and jiving, talking smack, they're never going to lock in on the fact that the federal government is the currency issuer, the creator, the states and locals are not. They're just like you and I, except they have the ability to buy more bonds, whatever. They have the ability to write laws that create taxes at the local level, but they can't create money. And so right. one of the biggest things here to finalize Peter's real question is when you see states competing with one another, for jobs, for headquarters, for big business. Amazon, bring your warehouse here. We'll cut the tax base. We'll give you freebies. We'll do whatever it takes to bring you in here. All these companies are looking for what your local and state taxes are because they don't want to go to a place where they're going to lose money by doing business in your state, by having to pay taxes in your state because you've driven them up. So the race to the bottom with all these states is very real because people don't think about currency issuer, currency user, and the point of taxation. They get it all wrapped around the axle and they screw it up. And so that's your story, man. It's complicated, kind of, not really. I just, you know, I don't ever claim to understand economics. I mean, like I took macro and micro in college because I had to, but that was forever ago. And, I, you know, but I'll never clean things like I don't I'm not going to make some ridiculous statements about banking or things like that because I have no clue um and so I but I do know that we're consistently lied to that I know I'm very comfortable with that so I yes. generally look at what they're telling me and know that that's not the case and I don't and I've said this to you before I don't need to completely understand it I really don't no, I don't need to completely don't. understand a lot of things that's what other people can get paid money to understand um, <laughs> what you need to understand more than anything else is when you're being lied to right. that's the most important thing yeah well that's like I don't need to understand astrophysics but I'm glad somebody does I don't need to understand a lot of things <laughs> like that's fine I don't claim to understand them but I'm well, good listen for you, for me, for us, for yeah. we, I'm not, I'm not going back to school and become an economist. I'm right. not doing it. I, I refuse to. I don't care how many MMT graduate studies there are out there. I'm not doing it. I've yeah. got two master's degrees. I know how this works. You take on additional debt. And for what? Are you, are you going to suddenly get a job as an economist with a master's degree when there's no. PhD economists out there that are like looking for work? I don't think so. Good to know, right? Good information to know. But what you do need to know, Jen, and you do need to know, Peter, which I think you guys are on the track to, is in fact that the federal government creates money out of thin right. air. Okay. It spends that money into existence. It never prints it. 
It taxes that money out of existence. So we're never just constantly just printing money. It's always money being spent in, money being taxed out, always spent in, taxed out, spent in, taxed out, spent right. in, taxed out, right? Always. And then on the next level, there's a little circuit at the lower level where the states and you and I are held to our incomes, our bank accounts, our credit, all that stuff. That happens in the private sector. That happens where we are. So when we try to put the burden of healthcare on our employers, we're putting a, a burden on the healthcare uh, or put, putting a burden on the employers that they aren't really fit to do. Now we're stuck with the employer too, all in the name of making them pay their fair share, right? All in, we, we sabotage our own lives by trying to make them be the ones that are on the hook for it. It's the dumbest thing in the world, but you need to know these sorts of things. You need to know that states are taxed. They have to tax. They got to make money somehow or another. And when they do be big deals with these big companies to lure them in, they're robbing their, their, their poorest citizens of tax revenue at the state level where that really matters. Okay. Because they're cutting the bottom out to bring these businesses in. If you can get that part down, yeah, that part alone, everything else is important, but it doesn't, it pales in comparison to the fact of what I just said. Everything else you can kind of mentally work your way through if you can grab hold of just that right there. Speaking with Steve Grumbine of The Real Progressives, friend of the show, Lana Dell wants to know, have you reviewed Robert Hockett's Forbes article that some funds are earmarked for let's make stuff in the US versus overseas trying to find a silver lining? Well, I think between you and me, Steve, and you know Jen as well, if you have a spending bill where one, two, maybe two or three percent of it is going in the right places, what is the point of having that at all if the overwhelming majority of it is going to go places where it doesn't need to go? And I think that that's the biggest issue that people need to understand. That's and a good question. When yeah. I see when I see even the people that are well-intended, but clearly cap, you can always tell, especially being on social media, you can tell people that are definitely on the, what you would call the progressive, even to some degree, left popular side of politics, but they are co-opted mentally by the Democratic Party. And so the way that they will frame the things that they're saying is like, look at this thing the Democrats delivered. And it's like, no, the Democrats didn't actually deliver. They threw you a crumb so they can take the whole fucking pie. And you're still eating from the shit pan that you've been eating from forever and thinking that it's somehow different now. No, it's not. It's not at all. And it's like if you're going to have a national labor movement, a national labor council in this country, it cannot have anything to do whatsoever with either political party. Can, can I just say, did, did Steve answer that question? Did you know what the article that uh, Lana was talking about? Yeah. And look, let me just say this. Bob Hockett has been a friend of Grumbine and a friend of macaron cheese for a long time. Okay. Bob Hockett is also a, we had one of our podcasts called Metabolic Optimism, which was Bob's kind of take on things. Bob has a never ending uh, optimism, if you will, for the establishment Democrats. He, he finds himself always looking for the silver linings. God love him. I love Bob Hockett as a human being, but in terms of this stuff, he and I know that we're like fire and ice, oil and water. I don't look for silver linings because the silver linings are only there to make people look for silver linings so they can find hope in something that there shouldn't be no hope in anymore. Okay. So for me at this point in time, when I see that, I say, it's very hard for me to get excited about the stuff I do with modern monetary theory 
when I see people still continuing to cleave and hold on to the party as if it's still got good roots, like this is still a good thing. It's still a good place. It's still this. It's so captured. If you understand it's captured from the local level, from its bylaws to the next level at the regional level, to the state level, it's captured to the national level. It's got many layers in there of capture. And these people are deep state of their own variety, deeply part of the core of the the machine. And they're not letting anyone through the door. And if they do, if an anomaly makes it through, it's merely there to say, see, there's a silver lining. See, we did get Charles Booker. See, we did get Jamal Bowman or see, we did get that. But what did you get? you got AOC who's quiet as a church mouse, who's doing absolutely jack diddly for us, okay? You've got people that are still hanging on to the squad like they are somehow or another leftist messiahs. In reality, they're not any, I, I don't, I can't even read what they're saying anymore. I can't even take what they're saying seriously anymore. And and And, and it's not because I don't want to. I would love to be able to take the things you're saying very seriously and hold on to them for dear life and find a ton of silver linings. I'm realizing today that there are far too many that can't handle the truth. Just like MMT is a truth pill that is hard to swallow, realizing your government is captured and realizing that 10 progressives yeah. in Congress or whatever, it does not make for change. You it's not answers? enough to change. It's you not. You want the truth? Yeah. You, you can't handle the so, truth. So we had exactly. another question as to why is it that we, the federal government can send money directly to Ukraine, but we can't seem to send money to places like Flint or Jackson? Any money. Okay. Any do you want to hear the truth? Do you want to hear the real truth on this? Let me yeah, tell well, you. I, I'm just, that the was truth, the question. So I think it's a, well, I'll it's answer a the question. question. Let me answer the question. The, the yeah. question's worth answering. Okay. Yeah. A lady named Clara Matei, who is my spirit god. Okay, Clara Matei wrote a book called The Capital Order, How um, Economists Invented Austerity, okay? And what it is, is the capital order. When you spend money on the people, okay, you take away an important component the capital needs to be able to maintain its pull on labor, okay? If you have options, if you are not living hand to mouth, then you are going to be way too independent of the system for them to be able to handle manipulating you and forcing you into bad situations. They create enough precarity in the environment. So if they do things for us here domestically, our quality of life rises and our ability to say no to things that we don't want to do elevates as well. When austerity hits and they don't spend on us, we have less opportunity and we have less ability to say no when they come around with an offer we need to refuse but can't refuse. So why do we spend abroad? Because the capital order requires real resources from Ukraine. Ukraine is the breadbasket of Europe. Yep. Ukraine is a grain producer. It is a lithium producer. It is a real minerals producer. Oh, yes. These are all very important things. Mm-hmm. And without having access to Ukraine, Russia will suffer because Russia has been using uh, Ukrainian grains forever to feed the, the Russian people. They can get it elsewhere. There is replacements obviously available, but that was a relationship that they had had. Now, all of a sudden, the neoliberal order is trying to pull Ukraine into the EU, into the NATO world, which is all about neoliberalism. So unfortunately, 
what you're dealing with here is a fundamental misunderstanding. People genuinely believe that their government is here to serve them. And I believe the government should be and could be that exact vehicle. I am sympathetic to that desire, but it's not what it is today. And the systems and the, the voting systems and the uh, campaigning systems and the party systems and all the other systems that lead to getting one person into office are wired and rigged against us. Rigged in a, in a more, you know, proverbial term than like literal term. They've got well, soft gaps. Well, they got both. But I'm saying this with yeah. minus the nefarious actors, yeah. the system is built in such a way that they always have the ability to filter out things they don't want from making it to the top. They have built-in filters. They have their own version of algorithms in the political space to prevent people right. that they don't want in office from getting into office. And they use them to great precision. So the idea that we have a functioning democracy, which would change all the things we're talking about, it is that's a fundamental question. We don't have a functioning democracy. Everyone around the world looks at us and laughs at us now. And they're afraid of us, quite frankly, because a wounded animal with nuclear weapons is a scary thing. And we're the only country in the world that has really proven what it's like to drop an atomic bomb on a sovereign nation. And when we did it with Hiroshima and Nagasaki, and when we threatened to do it in North Korea, we threatened to do it in China, we threatened to do it in Russia, and we've been threatening to do it ever since... They dropped the bomb. So I think that watching us as a wilting, um, you know, empire, an empire that yeah. has lost a lot of its cachet, um, it, it, it's a terrifying thing. But the reason they don't serve our needs is genuinely this thing we call the capital order that is literally not, cannot survive if we have the ability to tell them, no, no, thank you. They need us to be pliable and willing. That's why I oftentimes say we live in an open air prison. So that's, that's my take on it. Yeah. I, and I say that too, like, even if we had, let's say we even had a somewhat functioning Republic, which right now we just don't. When you, when you have legislation and policy that does not reflect the will of the majority, you're in a dysfunctional Republic. Um, Cause if it was functional, we would have what the majority wants. Like that would be how it goes. But even, even if let's say we, we did have a somewhat of a functioning democracy, our menu is very limited. And that's what I say. So like, let's say, yeah, we have a choice. We have choices, but, but somebody else bigger than us is dictating the menu from which yep. we have those choices. So it's not really choices. It's all roads lead to the same oligarchy. It doesn't really, which is why when people get all, um, sort of nationalistic about anything having to do with Russia or China or anywhere. I'm just thinking, yeah, it doesn't matter to me what language my oligarchs speak. Like that's, that's not the issue. We have infinitely more, we need to have more solidarity with the people that are in those places. Yeah. Um, because those are the same people that those are the same on the same level as we are. Like, I don't care if my oligarchs speak Russian or, or Arabic. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> I, I, I got to tell you, I mean, I've been studying my ass off from World War One up to present, and I've been focused very, very heavily on everything that happened post um, Bolshevik Revolution, because this is really what changed the world right there. Nobody realizes how big of a change occurred when the Bolsheviks revolted yeah. because everyone got scared. Everyone got scared. And this is what drove the capital order in Claire Matei's book. Uh, to come to spring to fruition because it needed 
It needed some way of maintaining control. And this is when they instituted austerity. Austerity has been around for a long time. I want to be crystal clear. It wasn't just invented in World War I. What happened in World War I was the institutionalized knowledge of austerity, the triune of austerity, which is number one, uh, higher taxes. Number two, reducing the fiscal, oh, I should say, reducing federal spending, okay, raising interest rates. And then the third one, which is the big one, which they're starting to see now, is the layoffs, right? So you got the yeah. triune, the, the triple threat of austerity, okay? Stop making me Jones, young lady. No, I'm just joking. Anyway, so with the three things they've got there, going back to World War One. Those things had been done previously. They are now a part and parcel with what they call institutionalized knowledge, meaning it's beyond the political debate. We're no longer debating. It's just what you do. When you have inflation, you raise interest rates, you lay people off, and you cut spending. You always do it. That's the, that's the formula. And it doesn't matter. There's no debate about it whatsoever. That's the formula. Printing money, inflation. We got to stop printing money, so let's stop spending. That's always the, the answer. It's not the answer. It's a lie, but it's the answer. And so going back to World War I, when they realized that everybody started saying, wait a minute, hold on. You mean capitalism isn't a certainty? We don't have to do it this way? Holy shit, that's novel. And people started realizing there were other alternatives. And so what happened? You had freaking, even Churchill was salivating, salivating over Benito Mussolini and his fascism. Even that, at that point in time, he was like, hey, this guy, Benito, he's got it going on, man. I, I kind of dig the way he's operating, right? And so from that point forward, they were anti-communism. They saw that as the biggest threat ever. Come to 1945, and we had to become bedfellows with Joseph Stalin. That was a weird thing because there was a lot of U.S. thoughts that were supporting the, uh, the Nazis at that time. A lot of Bushes, a lot of other people, J.P. Morgans, you name it, that supported the Nazis. We're not supposed okay, to talk about press. We're not supposed to talk about Prescott Bush. That's that, you know, that's that's <laughs> rewriting the history the right way. And we can't do that. That's oh, right. exactly. But but if you think about what I'm saying, though, each step along the way, they have had to do whatever it took to prevent us from thinking about socialism, to prevent us from thinking about communism to prevent us from thinking about serving the people versus serving industry. They've got us believing at all times that we must allow business to do whatever it wants to ensure that we have jobs, to make sure that we have economic growth, to make sure that we don't stifle creativity and inventions and all the stuff that entrepreneurial spirit, you name it. So they have built this libertarian logic, this anarcho-capitalist logic into everything. And they created the WTO, World Trade Organization, during 1945-ish, you know, the World War II and on. They created the IMF at that point. They created the World Bank. They created the Peace Corps, for God's sake, right after World War II. Why? To counter socialism, to counter communism, to provide an alternative to all these developing nations before Stalin reached out and, and Olive Branch and said, hey, join us. Right? They went and they tried to get ahead of that. So what happens? You have the same problem in North Korea because now all of a sudden the North Koreans, as we drop the bomb on Japan, we got to get Japan out of North Korea because you forget the Japanese empire going on, right? So now all of a sudden we've got a new war against Russia, against China, against communism by being in North Korea. 
And so if you think about it, Douglas MacArthur was like hell bent on leather, hell bent for leather, baby. He was ready to rock and roll and go straight into China. Hell, he'd have gone to Moscow if you'd let him. He was ready to kill them all. He wanted to end communism right there. And so Truman yanked him out of theater. But every step along the way, it's been doing this. You can't look at today without understanding how long this arc has been going on. And then you had it happen in Vietnam, the same exact scenario to stop communism, to go after Uncle Ho, Ho Chi Minh, and freaking the North Vietnamese, same exact scenario, every step. And then you had the Cold War, and, and here we are now today, a continuation of. So people that don't follow history, that don't learn about history, don't understand this stuff, have a tendency to think that where we are right now happened in a vacuum and it's all right now. And they're not realizing that the reason why no good thing is happening is because we're still fighting, we're still shadow boxing communism, okay, while simultaneously propping up the capital order. And so without that fundamental knowledge, you're going to continue believing the fairy tales you're told on The View. You're going to continue believing the fairy tales you're told from MSNBC. You're going to continue believing the Joe Biden fairy tales, the Obama fairy tales, the Donald Trump fairy tales, the George W. Bush fairy tales, the Obama fairy tales, Clinton fairy tales, and on and on and on and on and on. But going back to Jimmy Carter, as our dear friend Harvey K. would tell you. Jimmy Carter being the worst president in the United States of all time, which people think of him as the good guy banging on houses for Habitat for Humanity, but don't realize that son of a bitch was the one that brought Paul Volcker in and literally made people suffer more than anyone. King neoliberal. So what do you do with all that information? That's a lot. I just threw out a freaking PhD level worth of ideas <laughs> and thoughts and things. And it's like, all we're trying to say is the reason why we can't have nice things is because we're battling against a fake thing. This We can't have communism in the United States. We can't allow people to have enough freedom to make decisions for themselves because if we do, they'll decide not to do the shit that we put in front of them. And everything else, everything else, MMT, everything else here, the lies we're told are meant to keep us in that frame, that frame right there. Because divorced from all the other wars I just told you about, all those situations going back to the Bolshevik Revolution, if you ignore this, you will fundamentally miss the entire point. And that's why it will always be that case until we yeah. change that. Why are the, we're speaking with Steve Grumbine of the Real Progressives. Uh, why exactly are, I mean, again, history is repeating itself. And yet the oligarchs, seem to want to double down on this idea that they can keep getting away with this. Why do you think that is? Think of it like this. There's two, two different worlds, right? There's two different worlds. We don't live in the other world, the, the world where people are really beyond money. Money is yeah. a thing, but it's not really a thing. Mm. Like they have access to, professional services without payment. They have access to the best doctors because they're their neighbor. They have access to anything else. So there's an yeah. entirely different world that they inhabit. And then there's us and we're just a commodity. We're just a, a, a cog in the wheel. We're not real people. We're not real. We don't serve anything other than a purpose for them where it's not like our hopes and dreams are intended to come true any more than a slave's hopes and dreams. What do you want to be when you grow up, uh, Kunta Kinte? Well, I'd like to be president of the United States. It's like, yeah, it's not happening, dude. You can't be the president while you're out there picking my cotton. See, that's what they're saying to us. 
They're saying your hopes and dreams will keep them there like the matrix, the woman in the red dress. We want you to believe that you have freedom. We want you to believe this. But in reality, you're just a slave to the system. Yeah. You're just a slave to what we're doing. But as long as you believe you're free, God damn it, you're free, aren't you? As long as you're, you think you're free, you're free. As long as you think owning Bitcoin's good, even though it's tied to the U.S. dollar or whatever. Fine, no problem. Fiat's lifting up, no problem. As long as you believe it, that's all that matters. I think we have very different concepts of free because somebody might say that they're free, but to me, if you're stressed about living, if you're stressed about how are you going to get by, how are you going to like be able to feed your kids? If you're like that kind of life stress that most people in this country have to one degree or another, that's not freedom. Like that feeling is the opposite of freedom. That's actually, that's like, that's the feeling of enslavement. And, and I don't, and I don't think people like you're free to do what? You're free to be in debt. You're free to just spend your life working so that you can just keep working. I mean, I, that's not freedom. Nope. I'm seeing no. a lot more dissent regarding the omnibus bill than generally speaking. I mean, most people agree that there's something inherently wrong with the way we do spend money in this country, because it always seems that the money that is spent is never spent on the people who need it the most and always the ones who need it the least are the ones who end up with mostly everything. And that is becoming crystal clear day in and day out. This is even more clear because of the dog and pony show that President Zelensky was able to pull on the hall on the floor of Congress. And I tell you, I, can we just stop for a second? What's with the friggin' olive green T-shirt all the time? Is he wanting to just present this very kind of Marxist thing? Is no, that like, he wants to no. look like he's he he just got off the battlefield. Well, okay, so exactly to, what? He, okay, yeah, okay, because I wasn't sure if he was trying to look like a Marxist. Like oh. I didn't understand the look of the whole thing. I wish like, I could look more doing? like I, I should have worn my green. Steve, who who am I? Nancy Pelosi after every time Zelensky stopped talking. (laughs) I thought you were Tom Cruise on Oprah doing the Tom Cruise. (laughs) You know, a great example of the of the of the left progressive, even populist left progressive that we love very much, but unfortunately is captured by the Democratic Party is Tom Hartman. And when he's been on the show, there are times we would try to get him to just even tepidly admit that you really know you're wrong about this. And he just it's but but the but the Republic, but the Republic, it's it's this knee jerk reaction to always go back to. Yes, I know the Democrats suck, but the Republicans are worse at this point. It doesn't matter because the level of suck that those two are at at this point, you're not actually doing anything that's worth talking about. And it's 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 so perfect that you're coming on here today because on Wednesday we're actually having the leadership council of the railroad workers united group oh wow and being able to talk to the very people who have the opportunity to determine whether or not there is going to be some type of labor uprising in this country and lord knows we need it oh i'm so excited i think the only way we save this country at this point is if there is some type of a national labor movement that tosses aside any semblance of we were are with one or the other political yeah, party. The parties is not the thing. If you want a third party in this country, it's not going to actually come at the ballot box. It's going to come with an overwhelming amount of working class people who basically can determine which way the country moves regarding workers' rights. You know, a labor party. But, yeah. Hey, I, I want to stop you for just a second. There's yeah, a gentleman sure. from Notre Dame called Philip Morosky. Professor Morosky has a, there's a podcast out there. You can find it on YouTube. Uh, it's symptomatic redness with Philip Morosky, and he talks about neoliberalism. 
Okay. Now the, the trick with neoliberalism, it's very important to understand the triangulation that is used. Okay. What they do is they give you a option. It's an option that is so horrible. Right. So absolutely represent the rep- reprehensible that you're like, you reflexively say, Oh my God, anything but that. And they say, we hear you. We've got your back. We're going to give you something right here next to it. That's better. Now, never mind that there's full 360 all the way around here of all these other options, not to mention all these options and all those options, but we're right. going to go ahead and we're going to give you this option. And it's one degree of separation. And the idiots over here are going to say, what do you want, Trump? Right. What do you want, Trump? And the answer was yes, actually. They actually, <laughs> well, the, yes, we actually prefer Trump to Hillary. Of course you prefer as a country. Because I'm really great well, and I'm going to save this I'm, country. I'm just me. saying, yeah, actually. But, you know what, Steve? But if you understand the triangulation, though, if you understand yeah. triangulation, yeah. really understand the the. This is what Morofsky puts forward, and it's brilliantly stated, and it's so important because people don't understand that there is like out of five million bazillion, uh, you know, grains of sand, they're telling you only have two choices between these two grains of sand to choose from, and you believe it, and these people will fight to the death over one grain of sand difference. Yes. And they'll say, oh, if you think the two parties are the same, you are crazy. You're fucking crazy. Right. And they go get all apoplectic and their face turns beet red and they get the veins in their forehead. And they're like, you're a Putin puppet. You're a Putin puppet. And they quickly put their Ukraine flag up in their, you know, profile picture. And anyway, it's really repulsive. Because you feel so sorry for them, even though they think they're the ones in the adult chair. They're the ones yeah. that are literally playing with the child steering wheel in the passenger side of the car and thinking <laughs> they're driving you on vacation. That's who what they are. That, that is exactly who they are. I mean, is that more or less just the, I mean, we saw, we saw the power of Fox News, particularly in the early 2000s regarding the war in Iraq and how committed they were to making you out to be an anti-American if you are not behind the swarm. They're well, doing it now with Ukraine. Come full circle with Ukraine same and thing. MSNBC and even CNN are doing the exact same thing. It's Groundhog Day. It's just, I really feel like that's my life is Groundhog Day. If people really think, and again, this is where I, th- this is where the bridge with libertarians is possible if only on a few issues, but they at oh, least, stop listen, it. They, but they at least have a very consistent anti-war lean and a very strong me, civil liberties lean. Whereas these networks- He cannot allow you to praise libertarians in any fashion. It will let me, let me explain why he though, for real. It's just super important to get this, really, yeah. for real. Oh, I'm sure it's all about you, spending you can change. Money. You can tell me I'm wrong, but I want to make sure you hear what I'm saying. Fair. If I go out there and I kill 4,000 people in a war, or if I even kill 50,000 people in a war, okay? Yeah, who cares at that point? Put 50,000 next to the number of people that die from starvation, from lack of health care, from austerity, right? Yes. Libertarians preach nonstop austerity, yes. nonstop murder. They are the biggest effing murderers on the planet. And then they talk about war and that's their air cover for non-intervention. You understand that it's air cover for austerity as well because they consider government spending intervention as well. And they consider taxation theft. So these fuck sticks go out there and literally kill more people 
And then they get, we're, we're anti-war. I agree completely. All we're saying is, is that (laughs) from when we're working with people to get like, let's say, you know, the War Powers Act back and and stop the crap that's going on in Yemen, I'll take them on my side to fight for that. But, But remember why we're going to war. Remember the why. If you get the why. Yeah, resources. You understand that it's about resources and austerity. Austerity, and the austerity—they're creating the very condition that requires yeah. us to go to war. So and that's an oxymoron. But that's and that's the disconnect where people who claim to be libertarian can't see the connection between they tend to be very populist and even populist left to a degree when it comes to foreign policy. How they don't allow that to translate to domestic policy seems to be extremely perplexing. Former libertarian, former libertarian. I mean, straight up Murray Rothbard, Ron Paul. I fought tooth and nail for Ron Paul. I am a former libertarian that gets them inside and out, baby. I was, I I don't have it at this particular desk, but I have my creature from Jekyll Isle waiting for any moment just to snap out on people. I am telling you as a person that escaped the clutches of libertarianism, I am telling you right now, this is why I left the cult of libertarianism. They are as destructive an entity as anything. And they're corrosive because they go into the Republican Party and they say, see, we get along on these ideas. And they go, and they pollute them. And then they get along with the left. They say, see, we get along on these ideas. And then they pollute them with the austerity narrative. And they keep it going. They are responsible for more death being a party that has no power. They're not in power. Unlike the Greens, who have absolutely no impact on on right. the political yeah. process, That's libertarians sure. have infiltrated every aspect of it. Going back to Milton Friedman and Paul Ryan was a king libertarian. All these folks literally are libertarians, and they are destructive forces. Now, I'm, I'm not telling you that they're beyond reaching. I mean, Christ, I was once a libertarian. No, I've, had, I've actually had. Do very you go productive. to meetings? Hi, I'm Steve. I'm oh, a recovering I'm libertarian. libertarian. Uh, <laughs> well, I've sometimes. Had- I do live streams that way. Yeah, well, live, well, that's a good way to get do you it out need, there. Do you, it, well, it's but almost like some. you do need a 12-step program when you're getting out of any you, sort of, like all of these types of, like for me, it was a Zionist thing. But like when you're like sort of like unraveling it and like peeling it away, it's like, it really is like going through the 12-step program. Well, you're, that's you're, also, well, well, then you have the, you know, again, Rand Paul will vote the right way on a number of things, but then he'll run for president and all of a sudden the libertarian issue goes out the window when it comes to women's bodily autonomy. It's like you couldn't prove how much more of a hypocrite you can possibly be because the the true nature of libertarianism is live and let live. And if you are not allowing a person to live their own life, then you're full of shit and anyone preaching that is should be treated as such. And that is true with a number of issues. But again, we live in this hodgepodge world where everyone wants to either define themselves, well, I'm this way, or I'm a, or I'm a, I'm a the one I hate the most, of course, is uh, I'm a liberal because that, the, the embodiment of liberal to me just means privileged suburbanite. I mean, that's just kind of how it comes off these days. Because we have just such connotations with labels at this point. We do. They're not even real. These are all like fictional made up names and labels but you know but you know what i do know and you haven't been on the show in a while and this happened right right on election day i had a long conversation with a gentleman who is a firefighter and he is extremely progressive on living wage on universal health care on even clean energy as well as war and civil liberties and he is a diehard desantis and trump Trump, trumper and so what that tells me is 
when labor is the all-encompassing issue here, you will have just as many Bernie supporters as you do Trump supporters that yeah. fall into the labor and you know uh, pool, if you will, yep. or pie. Absolutely. That's where the haves right. and have-nots fight has to happen. And if you've noticed, not just because of what President Biden did is the most anti-labor legislation That's passed since Reagan fired the air traffic Stop controllers that around. 40 years ago. It seems to me that if there's ever going to be a time to build out the labor movement, it's going to happen right now. And no, ladies and gentlemen, as uh, Jeff Ginter, who has been fantastic in the chat, has pointed out, you cannot vote your way out of this. That's not going to happen. If it's going to happen, it's going to happen very much as it did before Teddy Roosevelt and FDR, where it was Eugene Debs who was riling up labor throughout the country. Even William Jennings Bryan really embodied that for a period, especially against William McKinley. There was this demand for labor to have a seat at the table. And now we've got Democrats in our party praising Joe for averting a railroad strike. The only time in our history where it was- <laughs> No, it's from, it's ridiculous. This is, and, and again, there's a reason why Teddy Roosevelt holds a special place in my heart because he was the commander in chief for only six months where he was not in a position outside of just being the true sort of maverick that he was, where there was the most- in the most consequential railroad strike in our nation's history up until that point. And Roosevelt sided with the workers over the oligarchs. Yep. Joe Biden sided with the oligarchs over the workers. Over over sick days. For, 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 all, for were, all of Teddy's uh, warts, and he had a few, okay? Sure. Let's be fair. Teddy he was a warmonger of all time, right? Let's, let's, we don't need to talk about the natives. Let me tell you, Teddy Roosevelt riding across that field, there, there are some people, it's kind of like that opening scene. He wasn't scene. on a moose. It's, well, no, but the opening scene in Dances with Wolves, it's like some people just want to be killed in a blaze of glory on the battlefield. There are people who think like that. There's people who think he wrote a moose. Give the man credit for one thing, and this is probably the primary thing I'll give him credit for. He really genuinely meant it when he said busting trusts. Yes. When he was going after anti-monopolies and yeah. really busted trusts. We need we need that kind of thing. That's about the only thing right there that I would. And again, I started out my progressive journey, you know, celebrating, you know, Teddy Roosevelt, right? Because a lot of the things that he said. But in reality, I think a lot of us, and I think this is a fair statement. I think a lot of us have learned an awful lot over the last six or seven years from Bernie Sanders' campaign to present. I think that it's it's a universal statement that the vast majority of people have learned a whole lot more about their country and about their government and about the history of their government than probably had ever known any of this stuff in the past. So is there hope in, in some sense? Maybe. But I look back at, at like the progressive movement and I say to myself, what are the key functions of that particular era that would matter to me? And unions are one of them. Trust busting is the other. But then I start kind of going, I'm not so sure after that, right? I'm not so sure what we gain from that era. Other than knowing if you contrast that with the Bolsheviks, you understand what they were fighting for, which was worker-led, worker-owned, yeah. you know, real honest-to-God, classless society where there aren't the upper, middle, lower, that we're all, you know, of the same class. I think that until you understand that that kind of alternative is a reality, guys like Teddy Roosevelt sound very sexy. They show you their big trophy hunting with their lions and 
all their escapades to, you know, Panama and everything else. And, Ooh, he was such a great guy. Reality was that he was no better than pretty much anybody else. He had a couple good things that he liked. I mean, he was a neat, neat guy. His story's great. His autobiography or his biography is fantastic. Mm-hmm. It's fun to read, but I don't think that it's, I don't, I, I think that the progressive era um, didn't give us what we needed. And, and I think that we didn't take the right lessons from it. And I think today, even now, we don't really fully understand what it means to be a progressive or a leftist. And I think that quite frankly, you start realizing that the other Roosevelt, Franklin Delano and and the rest of the gang, including John Maynard Keynes were actively doing everything they possibly could to stop socialism, to, to prevent socialism, to retain the capital order that I refer back to, to come full circle to Clara Mattei and her book, the capital order. And that's where I'm going to, punch my ticket on that one. Yeah, I'm getting, I feel like as I get older, it's funny. I had a friend's husband a long time ago tell me when I was in college, cause I was kind of, uh, you know, my hippy dippy self. And I remember him saying something to me along the lines of when you have money, you'll be Republican. Like when you have money, you'll be this way. And it's so interesting because now it's not that I have money, but I'm in a secure position in life and I'm going further and further to the left. Like I'm going further and further to the left and like, yeah, I am like, I'm just going off this way. And when I hear like, to me, when you talk about like being one class, whatever, you know, for me, I would love a uniform. I think there should be cars that come in small, medium and large. They come in black, white, and you know, maybe gray. I, I, you know, yeah, this is me. And I just, I can't like people are concerned with some really stupid ass materialistic shit. I mean, come on. Why don't we just stop doing what we're doing, trying to save humanity and just create our respective shows to just talk shit about other podcasts and build a big following (laughs) that way. Hey, I like that weird symbol you got on your uh, right chest there. I think it's your right. If I'm yeah. if I'm stage right, I think that's You're right. You're stage right. <laughs> yeah, that's correct. Yeah, I like that that real progressives there, and this yeah. is what we're talking about. Because Absolutely. You know, remember, you can't drink oil and you can't eat money. And so, for anybody out there, there you go. If there's anybody out there that really at this point thinks that they can just kind of waste time, you know, because the conversations that we have as we evolve with the podcast and depending on what Jen does politically, you know, to me, I'm part of you, a revolution. That's what's happening. Yeah, you can't. At this point, we really have to stop wasting time. We really have to be committed. Like I'm as fully committed to one specific issue politically as I ever have been, and that's labor, because labor will control the ability for us to get universal health care. Labor will control the ability for us to get a living wage. Labor will control our ability to protect our civil liberties. Labor will control our ability to determine whether the military industrial complex rules our lives forever. And labor will control our ability to whether or not we are going to evolve to a clean energy grid away from fossil fuels. If we do not recognize that that is the order of the day and the major issue of our time, I don't know where you're looking. Because even the most right-wing people who hate unions don't hate labor. That I never get. I never get the, oh, God, I hate workers that say, oh, I can't stand how corrupt unions. unions are. Well, I got news for you right-wingers who hate unions. It's not the union rank and file that's the problem. It's the union bosses and delegates that are literally attached at the hip to the Democratic Party establishment. That's the issue. 
That's why somebody like Randy Weingarten rules as a dictator, literally as a dictator over the unionized teachers of this country. You saw it in 2016 when they decided that they wanted to endorse Bernie Sanders, but Randy Weingarten decided, no, we're endorsing Hillary Clinton. That's a dictatorship. Yep. And that goes on in plenty of unions around the country. But the labor movement itself, these labor workers, think about it. These labor workers want nothing to do with the labor, with the union oligarchs that are ruining their lives. And if we figure out a way to bridge that gap and bring them all together, and yes, guess what? A lot of them are going to support Ron DeSantis and Donald Trump. You have to get past that issue if that is an issue for you, because ultimately it's not what's going to bring the millions and millions of people together. Oh, Ron DeSantis. That's, That's what's happening. Trust me when I say this, I have been trying to explain to people that the only way to get labor or the 99% to unite is to build parallel systems outside of the political process to avoid Democrat Republican and just go focused on our shared common issues. Right. And to unite around that and to get out in the streets for real, but not just to say, Hey, I'm in the streets here. Let me take a selfie. We're all in the streets. Don't we feel great. But to really have, built the institutions, the knowledge, the framework to teach people, to really build the mutual aid, to really build those kind of networks. In order to do that, you've got to get away. You can't say, hey, we're going to do this thing in the Democratic Party. You got to be outside of that. And you've got to make sure that you keep an eye open for sheep herders that get sucked in to try and recruit people out back to the Democratic Party. The goal here is to have a worker led movement that forces the parties to behave or to act on our interest if, if it's even possible. And if it's not, then obviously you go to nonviolent revolution and then you know how it goes from there. So I, I, I That's my take. Friend of the show, TM, absolutely right. Ranked choice voting is that is part of it. And that has nothing to do with a political party. That just has to do with having the opportunity to to vote your conscience and more. Uh, But what I do think is very telling, and I watched a documentary the other day about Boeing and where Boeing went wrong. Boeing went wrong when it merged with McConnell and Douglas and when it basically became it's not about the workers anymore. It's about the Wall Street profits. And that is universally true of anything that sinks in this country. The second you take the power away from the workers and put it in the hands of the shareholders, I don't care what you're selling. I don't care what you're preaching. It's over. And it's just a question of how long it's going to take. Sometimes it happens pretty quickly. In many instances, it takes years and years and years before people finally realize that the policies in particular of Ronald Reagan and Bill Clinton don't just happen like that. You don't immediately see the impact of, let's say, reducing the top marginal tax rate from 72% down to 28%. You don't immediately see the impact of eliminating the fairness doctrine in 1987. You don't immediately see the impact of NAFTA and normal trade relations with China. You don't immediately see the impact of removing Glass-Steagall or the Telecom Act of 1996 or the crime bill of 1994. These things take time before you finally realize, my God, we're living in a complete dystopia. Unless you're, unless you're a mainstream Democrat and you think everything's just fine. All those things are working just Do you really think in their mind at this point, as we wind down the conversation, and do you really think at this point, 
that there aren't a significant. I mean, listen, I fully admit my mother fully admitted to me a classic suburban liberal that I prefer to live in in blissful ignorance. She admitted that. Yeah. My parents basically said that to me. Do you think that there's like a part of them that realizes that neoliberalism will eventually come for them as well? Like, do you think they have any concept that that's possible? I genuinely believe, sadly, that most of them really believe the Democrats are the good guys, that they're looking out for them, yes. that they they come. When you see them, you could see the lights go on. It's almost as if I'm sitting front row at Metallica or if Jerry Garcia came back from the demo sitting there playing, you know, I would be like, like this. That's what these guys are no. with these politicians. It's gross. They, they cry. That. They oh, scream. Man. They celebrate. They door knock with a vengeance. In the end, they really believe. They do. They're believers. And um, they're believers. I'd love to hear you say they're believers, Peter, in the Trump voice. They totally believe me because I'm really helping them. You know, the thing that corporate media made a complete conscious effort to do, we've talked about it, you talked about it. Anytime they wanted to highlight a problem that they had with Trump, it was never about the actual fundamental problem. No, it's, he's just obnoxious and gross. And he is obnoxious and gross. Let's just say that he is a complete Russian tool, even though, and I don't know what the ultimate impact is going to be via the Twitter files, but a lot of those things that were revealed were things that we already knew. We just needed verification. But you know what? At some point, it's just so obvious that you don't need verification. Donald Trump is not this radical outsider that people think he is. He is somebody who plays an outsider on TV, but in reality is just further perpetuating the entire corrupt, broken system. If you need any more proof, Elon Musk goes to the World Cup final with the Qatari royal family. And who does he share that luxury box with? Jared Kushner. If you need any more proof that this is just a complete effed up controlled opposition system to make you think that there's anybody out there who's really helping you. Bernie was the closest thing out there to somebody who really was trying to help us. Now, where Bernie went off the rails is when he convinced himself that we can continue to put a Band-Aid on a gaping wound. You can't do that anymore. Band-Aids on heart attacks. rip it off. Even at the risk of complete and utter destruction. But, you know, it, the system will not course correct. It won't. Can, you know what, though? Donald Trump is an oligarch wannabe. Like, that's how I view him. Like, he wants to He's be. He's a piker. No, I'm a total stable genius, believe me. You know, you keep bringing me up. <laughs> no, stop, stop. No, it's so gross. <laughs> Don't right, do fine. it. Don't do know. it. But it's true. You know, they, but that's the problem. The problem more than anything else is why? Why are tens, not just a few, why did 75 million people vote for Donald Trump? Because they're sick of this shit. They do not. Not because they thought Trump was going to. They didn't think Trump was going to do something for them. Folks, I know people that hated Donald Trump, but hated Hillary so much that it was just like to put their finger in her eye. Right. Yeah. In their mind, it had uh, nothing to do with an ideological thing, had Steve, nothing to do with she wanting what he's bringing. had a hard enough time winning that election, even if the primary was legitimate. The second that primary was stolen from Bernie Sanders, there was nothing in the world they could have done. Donald Trump, who, in my opinion, 
was actually doing such egregious stuff leading up to the election that I thought he was just going to lose it because he's just so effing incompetent that he could have actually, you know, they talk about Hillary fumbling the ball at the five yard line. Donald Trump really tried to do that. And somehow he didn't manage to. But Bernie Sanders, the fate of our country is still wrapped in the fact that I watched for two years the absolute degradation that this party was willing to do to a man who was trying to help the working class of this country for the benefit of their rich aristocratic donor class that capital order capital order can i just i want to go back to something you were talking about with the with the russia thing i just i don't understand what do people think is going to happen let's say that trump let's say he's in with putin let's say that he's part of that and he's in with that and now now he's he's in charge all right, now what? What is it that they think is going to happen? That's just another capitalist country with their own oligarchs. Like, what do they think is going to, what is it they're going to do? Are, they're not even communist. I, I, like, I don't understand what people think is going to happen. Why are people threatened by Russia? Yeah, you need an, you need an enemy, understand. right? You need so an enemy. Think about this. When the U.S. government was able to exact empire, really, truly exact empire. Let's say yeah. going back to 72, when we went off the, the Bretton Woods Accord, we were able to really, truly, we had used the Bretton Woods Accord to create the dollar standard around the world. Then when we got off of it, we used it to literally control the world. And what we've got here is a situation where there's a, a multipolar world coming about. They're, they're breaking from the U.S. hegemony a little bit, right? Yeah. Um, and, and in that space, they knew that they had allowed China and they had allowed all these other countries to leapfrog them because we had stopped creating things in this country and we had stopped yeah. taking care of our infrastructure. We yeah. had allowed everything to fall apart. And so when we were the only game in town, it was no big deal. We could get away with it and we could just go ahead and rely on cheap imports while we simultaneously took care of whatever we felt like taking care of. And now we've got to bring some production back because this pandemic shined a light on the fact that supply chains are a thing. They're really important. And they showed that we need to be able to bring that back home. So they had to demonize China first because China has advanced so far above us. It's not even funny. We are so far behind China in terms of technological uh, distribution and production, et cetera. If you see the magnificent things that China's building, their just entire plan of the one belt, the, one road. China. Steve, just the high speed rail alone. I mean, just that, that alone, right. Just, I mean, but being able to take the high speed rail in a matter of hours between Shanghai and Beijing, I mean, we should be absolutely ashamed of ourselves. And most, yeah. if not all of this has to do with the fact that we outsourced everything. The only thing we really make in this country anymore is weapons. That's what we do. See, when we cut off the SWIFT system, when we cut Russia off from the SWIFT system, we cut them off from access to a lot of other uh, markets and, and things like that. So they have had to come back and, and buy things through China and buy things through Iran and others that are sympathetic to their cause. In the end, ultimately, this is all about the U.S. falling behind. I, I really It breaks my heart because I know good people, people I love that listen to mainstream narratives and that are absolutely convinced they're teaching me something about Russia and Ukraine and yeah. teaching me something about the you know environment and so forth. And I'm talking with the experts that are literally dealing in the space, literally behind the scenes dealing with this stuff. And I'm saying to myself, you really think that I would come on air and just say something like, 
you've been following me for a long time. Do you think I just right. make something up? I mean, is that really where, uh, where we've gotten to in this, in this relationship? I hope not because I'm telling you things that are literal truths. There is a lot of people that want to believe a certain thing. They have a desire, a need. Maybe it's something as simple as think about this racism. And this is, you're going to see where this is coming from. Racism, people that lived in a small town where maybe some black person was mean to them because the black person was poor or whatever and treated them bad. So that one person that treated them bad, imagine that there are black assholes in the world just because, you know, that's not racism. There are people that are mean, blah, 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 right? Yeah. But they will take that little teeny microcosm of the world that they lived in, that little, that one black person that was mean to them, tripped them, knocked their books out of their hands at school, literally, whatever. And they will take that and they will extrapolate that around all black people. Just like people will say, I know somebody in Russia that said, and that's not evidence. If you've done any scientific work whatsoever, that's not evidence. It's not evidence to say, I know somebody from Ukraine that said, it's not evidence to say, I know someone from Florida who said, it's not evidence to say, I know somebody from Kalamazoo who said, that's not evidence. That's anecdotal. That's, that's a thing. Sure. That, that happened, but just like every person that's ever been divorced doesn't necessarily think that marriage is the greatest thing in the world now, but people that have never been married or whatever may think, Oh, I know some people that had great marriages. Marriage is great. It's called dialectics. If you understand that two things can be true at the same time, yes, Russia could be mismanaged, but yes, us is doing this for its own purpose. Yes. Putin could be an asshole, but that's not why the U S is doing this. These are two true statements. You, it's like this weird thing. No, it's only this Putin's bad. No, my friend says good. They can't understand the dialectical material. Yes, yeah. this is true. It's like looking at a telephone pole. I use this analogy all the time. I'm looking at the telephone pole. The sun's behind me. So the telephone is shining bright white. It looks almost like a white telephone pole. But if I get on the other side, it looks like a dark brown telephone pole, which is true. Which is the true statement? Is it a white telephone pole or is it a dark brown telephone pole? It right. depends. Am I on the dark side of the moon or not here? Right. And so this is the unfortunate thing. Are you comfortably? Are you, are you comfortably numb? As soon as we get off this call, I'm just making. I'm just making. Let me tell you, Roger Waters would definitely be at like the top of the list of people right now. Yeah, we get on here. I've tried. Just think, it's really. I I think the more we have these conversations and the more we cross pollinate, we cross pollinate. It becomes more and more obvious that we're going to be able to do what we're able to do. One of the best conversations that we generally have is with you, but also with Jordan, with Ron Pacone. You know, we we talk with the people that are a part of, you know, the Status Quo Network, the Real Progressives Network. We need to consciously be having these conversations fairly frequently, not every week, but, you know, once a month. I think the consistency is key because more and more people need to be able to have a home. And one thing we always consistently do, and quite frankly, Steve, you're probably only about probably an hour from where Tim Pool is. If you had the ability to get on his show and allow his audience 50,000 plus live stream viewers at any one time to hear what MMT is all about, and you will have a fight, literally a verbal fight with Luke Rutkowski, that will happen. But you have to have the opportunity to basically say, you may be right about this, but you are dead wrong about this. And this is why you need to hear it. So again, put me in touch with him. I mean, I, I'm not a fan, but I'm certainly willing. That's <laughs> an, it's a very willing. interesting compound they have over there. Well, yep. you know, Tim has said time it's and really again that, look, I'll 
you know, he, he has two indoor skate park things at his compound. But he oh has made it clear that he wants to be able to talk to people yeah. that have different ideas. Yeah. If, if you put, so put me onto him, I don't have the access. Put me onto him. I'll, I'm glad to talk to him. If 45,000 people that listen tell you to fuck off, 5,000 might say, I think he might be onto something here. And think That's about good. what a difference that makes. <laughs> I got yeah. called communist Karen like a thousand times. I'm happy to be called define, communist. And they can't define what a communist is anyway. No it's, idea. It, again, com, <sighs> you know, I, I do not favor communal ownership of property. I do. But at some point, you're going to make people so desperate. Again, history repeats itself. We it have communal ownership of property. It's called government buildings and government parks, facilities and parks. Yes, libraries. There's a war on that too, by the way. No, I know. There's a sure. war on public parks as well. Hey, how about just being able to have uh, clean energy insulated government buildings? Can't even get yeah. that. Those types of simple We can't changes. get a high speed rail from West Palm Beach to Orlando. Yeah. So, you know. <laughs> being able, but the bigger we create this pie. And I tell you, The Social Dilemma is definitely one of the best documentaries made probably in the last five years. It really speaks to the addiction of social media. Well, you know what? I mean, I, I can't volunteer to do it because I'm not a filmmaker. I would certainly be happy to advise or even write on it. But somebody needs to make a documentary about the effects of war, of watching corporate media and what that actually does to your mindset regarding politics and the way that yep. you create this complete, completely divisive attitude towards one another. And yes, social media, especially Facebook in particular, plays Mark Zuckerberg, plays a significant role in how this is constructed to basically make you hate your neighbor. And by yep. doing that, I'm not on the that. oligarchs are able to rip us off. The second um, we fix that problem is Carpe DM. We've had Matthew Ho on, but I would love to talk to him again. Yeah, we'd bring him back. Of course. You see now somebody like he's adorable. See now somebody like Matthew Ho ran for president on the Green Party banner. Listen, he's not going to win anything. He may not even get to 5%, but I will tell you this. If he was the one running and giving that message, especially as a veteran who served in, in combat, uh, he would have an impact. Better than he, Howie Hawkins. He would have an impact. No question about it. And so with that said, it is always a wonderful pleasure to have you on. Please plug whatever you're working on. He's always working on all the same He's always working on something. He's got macro and cheese. He's got Rogue Scholar. Go ahead. Are you talking on his Sorry. Well, I've got macro and cheese. I've got Rogue Scholar. And I got to tell you, I'm suffering from something I think some of us may be aware of, and that's called burnout right now. Yeah, um, I have been really struggling with it because I'm at a juxtaposition here, right? I'm at a point where it's like a lot of people are wandering off to the establishment Mastodon servers where they're all cozy with their yellow and blue flags. And then you've got other folks that are over here migrating to the anarcho-capitalist, weird kind of libertarian, anti-establishment realm that I'm, I'm not really interested in joining up on, so to speak. Yeah. And then you've got this weird no man's land and I'm sitting here as a bona fide leftist that is desperate for a tribe. And it's been a challenge because to be aware economically, to understand macroeconomics puts me already in a weird like zero 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 one percent category. And then add in that I'm in this kind of weird socialist space that's not burn it down on one hand and yet at the same time begging for revolution on the other. It's just a very select group. It's a small space that um, that I'm in, but recognizing that without a working class movement, there is no movement. Um, it's just trying to find that sweet spot. And um, 
it's really taken a toll on me. Um, you're always telling people something they didn't want to hear. You're always telling people something yeah. that they think they know, but they don't know, but you have to be the one that tells them they don't know. And then you got to fight with them. And it, after a while, it just erodes your soul to constantly be having to do that. And people just assume they think they know everything, you know, and you're like, now I got to go ahead and put the thud on the table. The donk, here's what I know. Oh, you just, you know, and then all of a sudden it's just, that's really burned me out. But between macro and cheese on Saturday mornings and the Rogue Scholar Monday, Wednesday, Friday, um, I'm also, of course, uh, been doing Friday my way at Jordan on Status Coup, Friday nights at 5 p.m. And the Let's Get Ready to Grumble kind of floats between whenever on Sundays. Um, I'm doing an awful lot and I feel the burn because I'm, I'm kind of trying to find that that sweet spot for me uh, going forward. I, I I don't do things if I don't make an impact. If I don't feel like I'm making an impact, I'm done, right? And so that's kind of where I am. My journey has taken me to a, a decision point here. If I don't feel like I'm making an impact, um, I'm going to find some other way of expressing my, I don't know my uh, rage at the machine. So. Well, I think we've definitely hit the sweet spot regarding what the future looks like. I think you're spread very thin also. Yes. Well, that's that's another good. thing, you know, like that, it facilitates the burnout, but I understand what you're saying about not talk. Like, I got to tell you, my interactions with people personally are very slim to none. When we are out and about and doing stuff for me, I feel like that's work. Like me being out and talking to people, it's like work mode. But personally, like I'm not on social media. I don't do any of that because it's very frustrating. I often am telling people, no, I do not want to debate. I'm not going to debate. Like, I don't want to be arguing about this. I can share some facts with you. You could do it then as you want, but I don't like always feeling like I'm having to do like politics for idiots everywhere I go. <laughs> Hello. I mean, that's that, that literally is the problem with my, my activism has been, I'm teaching people macroeconomics and they're coming to the table thinking they already know. And and then it's just a head-on collision, and um, it's taken yeah. a very heavy toll. And a lot of haters, a lot of backdoor channel crap, garbage gossip, people <sighs> that literally organizing against you that are supposed to be your friends. It really just sucks the life out of you. And then you start thinking thoughts that you didn't want to think. And well, once it starts we, getting there, you just say, "Well, ah. I consider you in our tribe. Like I consider yes. us on the same yes. mission." With you, you guys, you and Jordan. And I like, I feel like that it's like, we're small, but mighty. Yeah. And even the people that finally catch on to what we're doing. I mean, Vosh has a very soft spot for Jen and even, you know, wrote like just a personal message the other day, just telling her how much he really appreciates her and that type of thing. You know, we may not be fully reached to the level that we would like to be. But I'd like to think that our mission is strong and it's solid. And what we're trying to do, transforming politics into service, really starts with labor. And I think that should be the mission of 2023, because we all know 2024 is going to be a complete shit show of the worst kind. Especially, I can't wait to see that Republican primary. Yeah, especially if Joe does run again, and especially <laughs> if it is Joe versus DeSantis. You realize that Ron DeSantis is almost 40 years younger than Joe Biden. I mean- you are setting yourself up for the worst kind of defeat if you allow this to happen. But I wouldn't expect anything less from the Democratic establishment because, again, it's not about what's good for the American people. It's about what's good for industry. It's about what's good for empire. And the sooner we realize that the great equalizer is building 
the type of labor movement that existed in the in the days of FDR. It's not that FDR was benevolent, and I'm sure there were some things that he did on behalf of the American people that was out of the goodness of his heart. But overwhelmingly, it was because he said, make me do it. And that's it. They made him do it. And, and that is the way it has to be today. You can't be in a situation where the president of the United States can literally crush labor and you don't have several million people walk out on the job the next day. That's what needs to happen. The second that does happen is the second the, the Overton window shifts in the direction it needs to. And so if that can be a mission for 23 for us to focus on, I think that'll re-energize a lot of people. Because to Agreed. me, it's all about, like I said, we're not wasting time anymore. We are not getting burnt out. I like the this. way you get burnt, <laughs> DeSantis will destroy, destroy corn. corn pop in a debate. Absolutely. <laughs> and you think DeSantis would even destroy Mayo Pete? Well, I mean, Mayo Pete's sort of like a, it's a Manchurian house of cards. Like, I, I don't think there, there's not a whole lot of there, there, you know, like a stiff no. wind could, you know, knock. <laughs> and, as, and as I always like to say, and there is a very, there is a almost a fascist like authoritarianism to DeSantis. And I often tell people the reason why he's going to ascend very likely to the presidency in two years is because this country is desperate and people gravitate towards strongman leaders who he want to- He is Mussolini. He is yeah. 100% Mussolini. And that's not just because his last name is DeSantis. I mean, I, 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 DeSantis is an Italian. He's Hispanic, correct? No, he's, or uh, he's, he's Greek. He's Greek. He's Greek, uh, okay. he's Greek and something else. Um, but, okay. you know, he's not even from here. He's from Connecticut. He's a Northeastern Ivy League educated boy who became- He has a, got all you know, the markings of Benito Mussolini. Strong yeah. man. Every, everything about him reminds me of Mussolini. No yeah, joke. it's not ideal. But as you yeah, notice, there's nothing yeah. there's nothing that's in his way right now. So Not right now, it's like a pretty clear path. And, and he's just allowing Trump to completely implode. And that is, you know, nobody does it better thing, than Trump. Man. There's one thing I've learned is do not underestimate DeSantis and always be aware that as a high ranking military, not, not just a uh I believe he, I don't know, I think he became lieutenant in the military, served in combat, and he became Jack and oversaw the torture at Guantanamo Bay. See, that's I mean, the thing there that's this, that I think it's people don't necessarily They don't realize. realize that he's not only completely capable of being president, but he's cold-blooded enough to weed through everything to get there. And that is the danger. And if we are going to be realistic about our future, it's that trying to prop up Joe Biden to try to stop this is a complete loser. And Who would you suggest? Well, I don't have anybody in mind right now, unfortunately, my good friend. Now, the point is, it's not going to happen electorally. You it's think they almost should impossible at this point. No, trying to say it. nobody listens. I think we need to just focus on the labor movement, and the and the chips will fall where they need to at the right time. That's what okay. I see. So, all right. With that said, always a pleasure. Happy, uh, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, and Festivus, and, and, and Festivus for the rest of us. And we will definitely be talking to you in January. And obviously, all the best in the Happy New Year, time. Steve. Thank you all very much, and to you both, I appreciate you having me on. Of course, bye, man. See you, brother. So, needless to say, Steve is one of the greats, and yeah, it's been a great conversation this afternoon. We hope that you all enjoyed it. Remember, if you are so inclined, please go to patreon.com forward slash generational change. For as little as $5 a month, you can become a wonderful subscriber of our channel. We do have some gift giving to do for uh, firmware. Uh, firmware, get us your- 
And well, Double K, I have her address, right. but firmware, we need we need you to email us generationalchange at gmail.com, your snail mail, so that I could send you Thank your you pencils. Dinner. Great to have you here. Please make sure that you are subscribed. Make sure that you click the bell to be reminded of this wonderful show. We had one of our best uh, turnouts today. Terry, I would back Chris Smalls for president in a heartbeat. That, that would, would be, be awesome. Fun. I mean, that the reality is is he would yes. need somebody significantly more sort of skilled in that to, <laughs> to sort of lead that. But he would be an amazing person to rally. I want to also remember $10 a month gets you the parliamentarian mansion sticker for 24. Of course, Lulu sticker, what could be better? And then, of course, if you are so inclined to become a $25 a month patron, you can get the wonderful not my, tri not blend. I, he has to do this. It's but, a nice jersey, guys. You get really the generational good. change jersey, um, not my yellow vest. My yellow vest is... This has been an extremely wonderful chat today, but of course we cannot and would be amiss if we did not go out of our way to thank our wonderful, wonderful contributors to the show. TM Martin, thank you so much for the Cash App contribution. We love you. You are wonderful. Guys, check out Politico Coffee if you haven't already. That is their channel. Uh, highly recommend you give them a look. Uh, in addition, obviously, double K. double K, she's just the absolute best. Yeah, I've got your pencils. Love They're you. coming. Your pencils are coming. Thank you so much for your support. Robin Bennett, thank you so much for your contribution. It was very much appreciated. Lana, always a pleasure. Thank you so much for contributing. Uh, Lana contributing twice. Uh, you know, if we don't get a response, I think Lana's going to need to get the uh, the pencils. Well, whoever, okay. At one. this point, yeah. we have two sets of pencils that need to be claimed. So if you're a nice uh, super chat donor, email us your at generational change at gmail.com. Generational change at gmail.com with your snail mail address, and you can get one of the pe Festivus pencil packs. And they are really good pencil packs. They're just so. funny. They're just friggin' funny, guys. It's silly. And firmware, of course, here again. Thank you so much for your wonderful contribution, as always. Uh, you guys are wonderful. Everyone that is here today who is new to the show. You. We do. We really appreciate your support. It means the world. And of course, we hope you enjoyed the discussion. It obviously goes without saying. Uh, What's coming TM, up on Wednesday? TM, this is why we think alike. I am completely convinced beyond any doubt that Carrie Lake is going to run for the U.S. Senate on the GOP ticket in 2024. That is going to create a real conundrum for the Democrats with Ruben Gallego very likely running for uh, the Democratic seat for the U.S. Senate now that Kirsten Sinema has declared herself independent. So that is very likely going to be a three-way race. Uh, I would say right now, uh, I would probably lean towards Carrie Lake, but that's me. I don't, again, don't want her to win, but I'm being as honest and realistic as I can. But Kirsten Sinema can go fuck herself. Yeah, well, they all suck as far as I'm concerned, just about. So with that said, we love you all, of course. Do tune in. On Wednesday, Wednesday evening, the last show of the 2022 year, we will be speaking. And what better way to close the year? Yeah, we guys. will be speaking with the Leadership Council of Railroad Workers United. So you are definitely going to want to tune in for that. It will be at our regularly scheduled time at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Remember, if you are subscribed to our channel, make sure that you are. And if you are subscribed, make sure that you have the bell clicked so that you are reminded to come check us out at that time. If you are so inclined, please go to patreon.com forward slash generational change. We would certainly appreciate your support. And of course, if you go to Cash App, that is certainly appreciated. If you do not want to give your personal information to the credit card company to keep billing you over and over, even though it's for us, because we're really good people. 
really incredible, tremendous people, but we're going to be doing better in the future and you will see. So with that said, we love you all. We appreciate you all. See the, you omnibus, the omnibus bill sucks. Stop calling it an omnibus. That's what it is. It's the omnibus. Omnibus. Omnibus? No, they say omnibus. So they're, but they're making it, it say, sound like it's an omnibus. It's not. That's not it. The bill is not going to help working class people. That's what you need to know. It is a spending bill to help the super rich, the military and industrial Speaker complex, Pelosi's and Speaker federal. Pelosi's federal building. That's very important. <laughs> Remember, that's important. We'll see you Wednesday. Bye, all. Thanks for watching. If you want to support our mission to transform politics into service, please like this video, subscribe, follow us on social media, and consider joining our Patreon, where you'll get early access to our interviews as well as other exclusive content. Links are in the description. Peace out.